So grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, to give us a little bit of reference of where we are for any visitors we have, uh, either in the house or online, Revelation is um, it's a, it's a longer book, but it's got this breakup and structure to it of three main visions. And each one of those visions are seven um, it's, a, it's a three sevenfold vision. I mean, there's, there's seven trumpets, there's seven censors. That's what we're in right now. And those are kind of broken up by these other, <clears throat> like a vignette vision. Uh, so the, the three visions themselves are all talking about the same time frame. So this, this isn't like a linear progression. You start at, at Revelation 1 and you see the beginning of the end times and you know, halfway through, you're at halfway through the end times. No, it's, it's the same thing from three different angles. So we're on the third of those sevenfold visions. We're on the sixth part of the third sevenfold vision. So we're almost done with the sevenfold visions. So that's, that's kind of cool. And these are the, the censers, the, the cups or bowls, if you will, where God is pouring out wrath. And the sixth one today gives us this picture of a great battle that, that is during the end times. But again, this is all of that time frame from the ascension of Jesus until his return. And we even have that one really fun word that we love, Armageddon is in our, in our scripture this morning. So this is the, the picture of what's going on. Um, it's not a really long scripture lesson this morning, but man, is it packed with some awesome stuff. So let's hear from Revelation chapter 16, starting at verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits, performing signs, who go abroad to the kings of the world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty." Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place, in, in, at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this text is... Um, Prophetic, <laughs> if you will. This is fun for me right here, right now, because this particular piece of revelation um, sort of highlights uh, a Christian evangelical worldview of the end times and how just absolutely patently false it all is. And that kind of fits in with our theme about knowing what is true, ignoring what is false, and holding fast to the true things of God. That's, that's what today is really all about. And even the Omega Hour is going to be dispelling a lot of false myths and, and things that just aren't true to focus on what is true. But there is this, this wonderful thing that we find in our text, and the timing could not be more perfect 
to bring to your attention these, these Christians and these churches who say just bizarre, silly things. So we're starting with the Euphrates River and a very convenient truth. <laughs> a little play on words right there. A very convenient truth. In our text this morning, it, it's talking about the Euphrates River drying up. Anybody seen any of this online? Just recently? Oh, we watched different things. Check this out. The Euphrates River drying up in 2022. Hidden signs of Jesus' return. Euphrates River will dry up. Biblical prophecies about Euphrates River are shocking. Euphrates River, there's hundreds of thousands of subscribers and views. There's a, there's a few YouTube things up there. There's articles out there because indeed the Euphrates River dried up in about November of 2022. So Jesus is coming, right? <laughs> Here's the thing. <laughs> those those Christian, God-fearing, well-intended people reading reading Revelation in, in a way that it wasn't meant to be read or, or heard by first century Christians are looking for a timeline and these signs instead of seeing it as, as God is calling us to see it in a way that is spiritual. Because the Euphrates River drying up means nothing. It means nothing in terms of the return of Jesus. That's not even what our text is about. When in, in Romans six, or Revelation 16, 12 uh, to the, where we finish today, this, this whole text is, is about what's going to be happening at the end times. And, and we are in those end times right now. And, and actually, the Euphrates River has almost dried up or dried up at least twice in my lifetime before this, 2014 and 2006. I mean, it's, it's not... It's not the, the locked down, it's, it, we know that is the Euphrates River and it is dried up, so therefore it's locked in, locked down. Jesus is coming back really, really soon. I hope he is, but that's not our text. I know that the Euphrates River is, is, is to be drying up, is to be understood spiritually and not literally. And, and spiritually, and I don't love this word symbolically because it's, it's more than symbolic. It's, it is a spiritual reality that the Euphrates River is giving to us in our text this morning. It's sort of like a parable. Jesus would tell a parable, and what a parable is, uh, is an earthly story about something that is of heavenly significance, Right? That's the kind of thing that is going on in our text this morning. And you know how I can know with absolute certainty that the Euphrates River drying up doesn't mean that Jesus is coming back or, or that these things are happening more now than they were before? Because I have secret knowledge that these people apparently do not have. That secret knowledge is that I know about airplanes and helicopters, bridges. <laughs> Let's look at our text again this morning. Put it up on the screen. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. The water was dried up. Why? 
to prepare the way for the kings from the east. The Euphrates was a barrier for the kings from the east would have to bring their armies across it. It was possible, right? They also had bridge technology. (laughs) They also had boat technology. But it was a major hindrance for the kings from the east to come across. I even have like just a really brief, let's look at this picture on our screen. The, the little red up there in the, in the right, that's the Euphrates. And you see where Israel is. This is where the people are hearing this for the first time. All of those peoples and kingdoms to the, the far northeast would have to deal with the Euphrates to get their armies down there. And what the Lord is saying is that he is going to remove this barrier so that those kings from the east, but we know that it's not a literal thing because if literal kings from the east, which by the way would be uh, Iran, Afghanistan, um, the, the um, Russians, right? All of them have airplanes. They would just fly over, zoom, right? Or just shoot missiles over. Euphrates River means nothing to literal kings and rulers to the east. But to the east of Israel in the time of this scripture were those Babylonians. And they did come in 586, and they did ransack Jerusalem and carry people away into exile. And they did steal them away, and they did lie to them about their own gods. And many of these Israelites intermarried and believed in these other gods. And it was, it was that spiritual reality, that spiritual warfare that is revealed to John when it comes to the Euphrates River. That's what we're talking about is that in this time frame that we are in, God will, on occasion, sometimes it feels like all the time, remove the barriers for those spiritual forces to work against us. I feel it. There are times when it feels as though it's just, there's just no barrier. Nothing's being held back, that the world is coming at me, that there's, there's problems. This last week, funny, was kind of one of those. I know it wasn't, our, our sanctuary wasn't Satan possessed when things are falling down, but it was, my, it was that, and it was another thing, and the light bulbs, and doing all these things, and it's, oh man, it's, it's just all coming at me, all at once. It was a tough, long week. We all have weeks like that where it feels like, like God is taking his hand of protection off and these things are happening. Or we just look around the world and we go, man, is, is God even paying attention to hold back these, these forces, the, the evils in Ukraine, the earthquake, and all of these other things? Where is God in any of this? Well, in our scripture this morning, he says, yeah, Yeah, it's going to feel like the Euphrates has dried up, there's no barrier, and the enemy is coming at you. But here's the thing. As he takes his hand away and removes those barriers, we should be reminded of the barriers that he removes for his people. Right? Those kings from the east aren't the only ones symbolically, metaphorically, spiritually crossing bodies of water. Right? The Israelites came to the Red Sea and were like, well, this is a bummer. 
(laughs) Pharaoh's army is right behind him. There's a way. You can go around it, but they didn't have time. So here's an insurmountable barrier that is in front of them, and God parts and he makes a way where they cross on the dried up bed of the Red Sea. And as they're coming into the promised land, there is the river Jordan in front of them, and the priests walk forward, and they could have stopped, spent some time, built some bridges, make some boats. There's a lot, hundreds of thousands of people. It's going to take a minute. (laughs) But God dries it up, and through those waters, the people of God enter into the promised land. Literally, but then also spiritually for us. Through the waters, God makes a way for us that otherwise would be impassable, would be impossible for us to reach our promised land, which is not that piece of dirt that is west of the Euphrates River, that is, that is in the Middle East, the promised land that God has made a way for us to get to through waters is the new heavens and the new earth that Revelation talks about. When God recreates paradise, not just a garden, but a globe, a new earth that is perfect without pain or suffering or sorrow or fear or disease or or brokenness or anything like that. God is giving to us a way to get there, and it comes through these waters that would drown us if it wasn't for his power and grace and mercy and love. The waters of baptism, the waters of baptism would drown and kill you permanently if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit's work in those waters. And I don't mean like the Holy Spirit wasn't working and I was baptizing somebody, ah, (laughs) not the wicked witch or anything like that. What I mean is If that water just dealt with your sin without forgiving it, without there being payment on a cross, without God himself becoming incarnate, giving his his body, his flesh and blood for us, paying for our sins, if God just decided miraculously with his word, without any of that happening, doesn't send his son, doesn't do the Jesus thing at all, and just goes, this water right here, will deal with the sin of mankind. One drop will deal with all of your sins. The way that would happen is by killing you forever. Forever, ever. But instead, to this water that does deal with your sin, he adds his word of forgiveness In our text this morning, we're hearing all about these words of wrath that go out over the nation. And it's it's something all Christians need to hear and deal with. But not to dwell only in God's anger, God's wrath, the way he deals with, with rebellion and sin and all of these things. As soon as we hear those things in Revelation or anywhere, we immediately have to attach to that. But then his son Jesus... This is how he deals with my sin. This is how he deals with our sin. 
This is how he deals with us in the waters of baptism. And and it is simply a matter of finding ourselves in this place of trusting and believing that in the waters of baptism, we find eternal life. It is not the only means of salvation. I'm not saying that baptism is somehow magical and you just baptize people and they're all going to heaven and everything's going to be great. But no, the waters of baptism do something of great significance. People hear the word of God and they believe and and then they are baptized. Or sometimes they're little babies. (laughs) And they hear the words in the baptism and faith is given to them the same way it's given to somebody else. So these waters of baptism that we talk about so often in our church are extremely powerful. It is very important God doesn't play around. He he uses metaphor and symbolism to show you things of profound reality, significant things that are real. Yes, the Euphrates River drying up, metaphorical, symbolic, whatever you want to call it, but there are really dark forces in this world that are really coming after us, seeking to devour that sounds like really super scary. Like the boogeyman's going to jump out of your closet. But that's not how, not how this fight is going to be fought when it comes to the, the bad guys and the good guys, right? That's, that's not how this, this great war at Armageddon is going to go down. Because our enemy isn't the boogeyman. Our enemy is what they call him the great pretender. I'm done. Sorry. (laughs) I know how well that always goes over. Satan is a liar. In in our text this morning, it it sounds kind of weird, but that's, that's what the text is calling him. He's the great pretender all the way through Revelation. But it's not just Revelation. I got three scriptures up on the screen. We're going to look at them just really quick. Everybody was like, dude, you like totally petrocked your sermon this morning. Everybody who looked at it was like, there's scriptures and pictures. It's a whole, it's a petrock sermon. So you are the father, you're, you are of your father, the devil. This is Jesus. And your will is to do your father's desires, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Let's look at the next one. This is Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Last one. Another one from Revelation. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Just three easy, we could go Garden of Eden when he lies to Eve and says, you surely will not die. We could go all over scripture and discover that what Satan does, his go-to move against the people of God is to lie, is to say things that aren't true, to get you to believe something that isn't true. And let's just look really quick at our, at our text that I'm pointing to from this morning, Revelation 16, verse 13. 
saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast, it's the beast from the sea, and out of the mouth of the false prophet who was the beast of the earth, who then later is in just 17. So in the next chapter, um, he's going to be called the harlot, the prostitute. I'm really looking forward to preaching that sermon because I get to preach on that. But I promised my wife I wouldn't say hooker in church. Starting now, right now, starting now. Out of, out of this holy, unholy trinity, this, this Satan and we, the beast of the, of the sea, if, if you miss those sermons, this is the, the powers of man, any institution of man, politics, etc. And this other one is the, the beast of the earth, the false, pros, the, the false prophet, the harlot. This one, this one is false Christianity, this false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. And they go around telling these lies. That actually reminds us of um, uh, the Old Testament, one of the plagues, all the frogs. My favorite part about that, which I would like to draw back to this, is the end of that. It's like, okay, there's frogs. That is annoying. But you know what was really bad is they started to stink. That's the thing about lies and falsehood is the more you have, the more you embrace, the more that is part of your life, the more it starts to stink. This is what the devil is going to do. He's not going to jump out and scare you and go boogity boogity boo. He's not going to terrify you. He's not going to chase you down. He's going to tell you little lies. He's, he's, he's maybe just about you personally. He's going to say things like, I know that church you go to is pretty cool, but it's not really you. Not really your thing, right? You're more of a traditional worshiper. You know, page five and 15, that's like your style, right? Or, you know, I'm not sure that 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 church over there, that they're even getting it, right? That old Iowa church out in the middle of nowhere, a bunch of old people in it looking at you. (laughs) They don't get it, right? We had another pastor in the house this morning checking up on me. They don't get it. They're using that old hymnal and stuff. They got no heart. They got no spirit. Those are lies. Lies that the devil tells to get you to think something about the kingdom of God that isn't true. Or you. You know, you just don't belong here because these people, and they got their lives together. Look around. Everybody drove here in a nice car. You got a beat up old truck. Look at these people. They're they're, they're all successful. They're intelligent. They went to college. They're happily married. They have these beautiful kids. Your life is a wreck. You you clearly don't know enough of God, or God doesn't really love you enough. If he did, you'd still be married. You'd have kids. You would this, or you would that. These are all lies that the devil tells you to get you to believe something about yourself that isn't true. It just isn't. And, and this is why it's so important for, for us to have, as, as Pastor Dan and I like to have, uh, this conversation about the, the Lutheran spidey sense, the, the tingles that go off. I get people all the time go, you know, I, was, I heard this thing, I was listening to a Christian podcast, or I read this thing, and something just didn't seem right. And I go, well, that's because something wasn't right. <laughs> Let me show you where. When you hear the truth over and over and over again, the smallest thing that isn't true stands out. 
When you hear over and over and over again something about the world and how true it is, when you hear something contrary to that, you go, man, I'm going to have to, I don't think that's right. So if all you're doing is listening to the world tell you things about your church, your faith in Christ, who Jesus is, what he means, how he's not really around, how thoughts and prayers are so offensive, you don't do anything. Christians are all about life as long as it's in the womb or babies, but as soon as they're grown up, Christians don't even care. The more you listen to those lies, the more you believe them. This is why it's important to be in the word. It's important to be in a Christian community. It's important to hear other Christians just reflecting the truth back to you because the war that is coming and the war that is here is a war over truth. Right? Could it be more obvious in our world today? We look around and see people trying to convince us that that what is right in front of our face isn't there. And we're not special. None of you, look at me, none of you, you're not special. (laughs) This has been going on forever. The world has been telling Christians that what they're looking at, what they're seeing isn't real and isn't true. Seems so bad today. Well, that's just because you're alive now and you weren't then. Because the same thing has, has always been the number one tool in the arsenal of Satan. We hold fast to a truth. And if you don't know what is true, if you're uncertain about all these other things of God and and, and of the world and all of these things, if you don't know anything else, you hold on to this one truth. God came to us in Christ Jesus, died for our sins. He loves me and forgives me based off of that. Because of that, I am saved, I am free, and I have eternal life. I will hold this. That's if if you you don't know or trust in anything else. And the next one is when somebody goes, but do you really believe that nonsense about Jesus being God and raising from the dead? How do you know you believe that? The next truth is a really easy one to remember. You say, because I'm baptized. That one's provable. You probably have a certificate with a date on it and your name and the guy who baptized you. Some of those kids who are here have my name on. I know they were baptized. How do I know? I baptized them. Are you holding on to that truth? Now, how do you know that forgiveness gets applied to you? Well, in the Lord's Supper, <laughs> that forgiveness of sins is given to me to eat, to consume. That's true. We do it first and third Sundays, and not fifth Sundays. Never going to get that right. So reject the lies of this world. Hold to the truth because the war over the truth is here and we all know that it's going to be a naked Armageddon. It's the last point in the sermon. Doesn't it sound like a show that would be on the Discovery Channel? <laughs> right? Actually, it sounds kind of cool. Like post-apocalyptic, you're fighting zombies but you're naked like in the suburbs or something? I'm still working on it. Well, I'll get a screenplay somewhere. We'll get it done. What we're talking about in in this last verse, let's actually get that last verse on the screen so people don't think I'm crazy. Jesus says, behold, I'm coming like a thief, which means he's not going to tip you off with a dry river. He's coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his 
garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Har Megiddo, Armageddon. We think this is such an important word. Armageddon. What is Revelation about? It's about Armageddon. It's what is the end times? Armageddon. This word is found one time in all of Scripture right there. You know what the word means? Har Megiddo, the mountains around the city of Megiddo. That's what it means. <laughs> and it's, it's a place. We know where this place is. We know where Megiddo is. We know the area. You know what it really is? It is a place that is really good to have war. I know that sounds weird. <laughs> Big, wide-open expanse. Lots of, of wild, growing food, springs of fresh water, places to build ramparts. Going all the way back to, to 1,500 years B.C., we have giant armies gathering there to fight. You know when the last major battle was fought there? 1917, World War I, tanks, like really crude, rudimentary planes. Can you imagine... Like, the people then must have been like, uh, so they're fighting at Harmageddon. <laughs> Christians back then were like, well, this is it. This is clearly it. They've never seen mechanized war before. They're all gathering. It's just, what it means is the armies are huge. This is going to seem as though it covers the entire earth because it does. That's what Armageddon is alluding to is this is a gigantic endeavor of, of the dark forces versus the forces of the light. The father of lies and his deceiving great pretenders and the truth who is the way and the light. And we just don't want to be naked. <laughs> That's it. Just don't be naked. How do we not be naked? Well, you put on this robe of righteousness that Christ gives to you. How does this robe, how is it given to you? In the waters of baptism, you are washed clean, given a clean robe of righteousness. Again, significant and real and powerful. Even if you don't see it, you've been given a robe of righteousness. And then we hear in Ephesians how we put on the armor of God, right? Belts of truth, feet of gospel, helmets, swords, shields, God's word, which is the truth. We, we are simply decked out in the truth. Live the life of the truth. You don't have to go out and, and dispel lies and, and start fights online and get in Twitter debates. And this, this is not, the, the calling of Christians isn't to be a debunker or, or an, an online activist. It is to be the truth and to reflect to the world that God has a truth that he imparts to us. Not just tells us, but he does something to make something true. That truth is simple. You, each and every one of you, God died for you in Christ Jesus to forgive your sins. You're perfect, you're lovely, and everlasting life is yours. Amen.